Today's scripture comes from the book of Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let not me be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let not me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of, all of his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Um, today, I would like to preach on guidance. So what I mean by guidance is how do we decide what to do with our lives? How do we choose one direction and not another? That's guidance. And actually, uh, I think this is one of the defining questions of our generation. There's never been a generation like ours faced with an overwhelming array of choices and options. Because unlike previous generations, we can choose any career. We can choose who to marry, where to live, uh, how many children to have. So many choices. But along with those choices is a cost. And the cost is anxiety. Because now the pressure is on. How do we choose well? How do we make these critical, life-shaping, life-determining decisions? And so there's never been a generation as anxious about the future, as paralyzed by indecision. Uh, I, I think this is really perfectly captured in the Netflix show, uh, which was a, a fairly big hit a couple years ago called Master of None. Uh, the main character is played by Aziz Ansari, who is sort of this hipster millennial. In the show, he lives in New York City. Uh, he's 30 years old, and he's trying to figure out his life, his career, uh, his romantic prospects. And there's this really poignant scene at the very end of the first season where everything comes to a head. Um, he reaches this sort of crisis point. And you know, his career is going sideways. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. He gets into a huge fight with his, his girlfriend. You know, should they get married or not? 
And then in the aftermath of that fight, he's feeling dejected and lost. And so he's wandering the, the streets of New York. And he walks into a bookstore, and he happens to pick up Sylvia Platt's book, uh, The Bell Jar. And he reads a passage. And uh, in the show, as he reads the passage, it's you know, animated with all these scenes. And so I, I want to read you this passage, because I think it's really evocative. Listen to the imagery here. I saw my life branching out before me like the green fig tree in the story. From the tip of every, of every branch, like a fat purple fig, a wonderful future beckoned and winked. One fig was a husband and a happy home and children. And another fig was a famous poet. And another fig was a brilliant professor. And another fig was Europe and Africa and South America. And another fig was Constantine and Socrates and Attila and a pack of other lovers with queer names and offbeat professions. And beyond and above these figs were many more figs I couldn't quite make out. I saw myself sitting in the crotch of this fig tree, starving to death, just because I couldn't make up my mind which of the figs I would choose. I wanted each and every one of them, but choosing one meant losing all the rest. And as I sat there, unable to decide, the figs began to wrinkle and go black. And one by one, they plopped to the ground at my feet. So in the show, Aziz Ansari, he's feeling uh, confused, disturbed by this passage. He puts the book down. He goes back to his apartment. And then later that day, there's a knock at the door. It's his girlfriend who has dramatically changed her hair color. And she announces that the fight earlier had given her this, this clarity of vision. And she realizes that she has never truly experienced the world. And so she has come to tell him that she is going to move to Tokyo. She's going to live in Japan and experience Japan. And she has come to tell him goodbye. Aziz Ansari is just stunned by this announcement. He closes the door. And then in that moment, he himself decides to quit his job. He's going to move to Italy where he's going to learn to cook pasta. And then that's how the episode ends. It's sort of this cliffhanger at the end of the, to set you up for the next season. I think that scene perfectly encapsulates the spirit of our culture. We are free to make any choice that we want, but we're lost and confused. We're hungry for guidance, but we have no idea where to find it. And so where do we turn? I want you to know that if you are a follower of Christ, you have the Bible. And I want us to look at Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is uh, written by David. Um, you can see in the psalm he's facing some kind of predicament, some kind of deep trouble. And he's asking, uh, he's crying out to God for help. He's full of distress and anxiety and so he's, he's asking God for guidance. He, he says, teach me, guide me, lead me in the right path. And the main thrust of this whole psalm is this middle section, verses 4 to 10, where he's basically saying, Lord, what should I do? 
what should I do? He's praying for guidance. And so today we're going to look at this psalm. We're going to read this ancient Hebrew prayer on divine, on divine guidance, and let's listen to its wisdom and instruction. And so here are my four points. This is my outline. The key to finding guidance uh, from this psalm, four points. Number one, doubt yourself. Number two, trust God. Number three, be transformed. And then number four, accept the friendship of God. So let's begin. Number one, doubt yourself. Doubt yourself. This sounds very strange to the modern ear. Because our culture tells us, trust your instincts. Listen to your feelings, and then you will know what to do. But the Bible starts in a very different place. It actually says, distrust your instincts, doubt your feelings, because the guidance that God provides starts with humility. Verse 9, it says, He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble His way. Humility is the beginning of wisdom. Because humility recognizes the vastness of what you don't know. How are you going to make a good decision if you don't even know what you don't know? One of my favorite uh, concepts in psychology is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's named after two professors, and it describes a cognitive bias. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically um, if you are incompetent at something, Right? So if you're really bad at doing something, you also lack the judgment to know how bad you truly are at it. And the worse your skill level, the more delusional your self-assessment, your self-knowledge about your performance will be. And they have discovered that this holds true in virtually every category of, of skill. Right? So uh, singing, telling jokes, computer coding, empathetic listening, the worst performers are also the most blind about their own incompetence. That's the Dunning-Kruger effect. I love this concept uh, because it explains this huge shift that we're going through in our culture these past several decades, this culture of hyper-self-confidence. I want you to consider a few statistics. Americans rank 25th in the world in math. Okay, 25th. But if you go around and ask people in the world, are you good at math? Americans rank number one in people who think that they're good at math. <laughs> Time Magazine had a survey question, are you in the top 1% of income earners? The survey results are that 19% of Americans believe they're in the top 1%. <laughs> Our culture encourages this. Self-confidence, self-promotion. Fake it till you make it. But that kind of egotism blinds us to our worst faults. But actually, the problem goes deeper than that. Because if you look at the verse, right, where it says, he leads the humble, that's verse 9. If you look at the verse above, verse 8, it says, he instructs sinners in the way. He instructs sinners. So what is that telling us? It is telling us that our greatest problem is not incompetence, it's not ignorance. Our greatest problem is rebellion against God. 
Our greatest problem is sin. And if our greatest problem is sin, then anytime you are facing a decision, you should assume that you're being driven by selfish and evil desires that will lead you astray. And so the fundamental question isn't, how do I get what I want? That's the wrong question. The right question is, is what I want good and upright? Is what I want even a good thing? And so the beginning of guidance is repentance. It's a posture of self-doubt and self-suspicion. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do you want to be guided by God? Start with this prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what I should want to do. Help me, guide me. That was David's prayer. So that's the first point. The second point, trust God. So here I think the second point wonderfully balances the first point. The, the first point is doubt yourself. Don't be so cocksure. And the second point is trust utterly in God. I want to uh, draw your attention to verse 10. It's really profound. Listen to this. It says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So it says, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice there are many paths. Notice that it's plural, meaning there isn't just one path. There are many paths, and they all belong to God, and they all are covered by his love and faithfulness. And so what is this saying? It is saying, listen to me, ultimately, whatever you choose to do will be part of God's loving purposes for your life. Whatever you choose. Because you cannot thwart the will of God. You cannot screw up His plans for you. Listen to Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So listen to me. If, okay, if you give your life to Christ, you cannot mess up your life. You cannot ruin your life. And what that means is that there are no mistakes in your life. There are no mistakes. Now, that does not mean you are not capable of making foolish decisions, sinful decisions, but when you do, it will be within God's plan. It will be part of God's plan. And because He loves you, He will let you suffer some of the consequences. Because sometimes, oftentimes, the best thing for your growth and maturity is to make a foolish decision, suffer the consequences, learn from that experience, but you cannot ruin your life. And when you understand this, it will give you incredible peace. It will give you deep peace. 
Because even your bad decisions will be part of God's wise and loving plan for you. And therefore, relax. Should you accept this job or that? Should you get married to that person or not? Don't be paralyzed. Pray for guidance. Be humble about yourself. Be immersed in God's word. That's the next point. But in the end, just make a decision. Just make a decision. Because it will be okay. God is in control. Don't be weighed down by second guessing. Don't think about the road not taken. Don't say to yourself, oh no, I've married the wrong person. It's a terrible mistake. Because if, think about it. If you say that, if you marry the wrong person, then you're having the wrong children. If you have the wrong children, then think about it. You ruin their lives forever because they shouldn't even exist, right? No, of course not. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. There are no mistakes. I want to share an example from my own uh, personal life. Um, one of the things that Christina and I, Christina's my wife, uh, that we always laugh about is how we met, just the uh, improbabilities of it all. And so the story is that uh, when I was a senior in college, I went to Cal, um, I started a, a, a ministry called Contact Evangelism, which is where we would just go out to students and tell them about Jesus. So for several weeks, I went around to different campus ministries. I sort of drummed up support. I, I, I talked about it. And then on the appointed day, the first day of the ministry, we were supposed to meet um, Friday at noon at Sproul Plaza at the Fountain, if you, if you know Berkeley. And at 12 o'clock, nobody showed up. And uh, I waited for 30 minutes. Still nobody came. I was feeling uh, pretty down on myself. And uh, I was about to leave when a friend happened to walk by. He wasn't there for the ministry, but we started talking. And then at 12.40 p.m., I kid you not, this girl comes running up to the fountain, completely out of breath, asking, am I too late? I'm here for the evangelism. That was Christina. So I said, okay, fine, great, let, let, let's go out. And we started talking, and I was completely smitten by her. Um, when you first meet somebody in college, you know, the typical question which I asked her was, you know, what are you studying? What's your major? She said, I'm studying philosophy. I said, oh, that's really interesting. Why are you studying philosophy? I will never forget her answer. She said, I'm studying philosophy because philosophy is the investigation of the truth. And I want to know the truth because I want to tell people about Jesus. That's what she said. I remember thinking, that's the sexiest answer I've ever heard. <laughs> I just felt completely in love with her. After we went on, on evangelism, we went to the bear's lair for a debrief. We started hanging out. A month later, we started dating. A couple of years later, we got married, and now we've been married for 19 years. Here's the thing, though. That whole meeting and encounter was just so improbable, right? 
The fact that Christina came so late, who has the gall to come 40 minutes late and expect it still to be happening? The fact that I waited for 40 minutes. The fact that she was the only one who showed up so that we could have such an intimate conversation with each other. And then on top of that, we actually found out that the year previously, we had met already. We were introduced by a mutual friend, and I, I remember this. I could tell that my friend was sort of trying to set us up. He said, oh, you should meet this girl. Um, she's really interested in theology. And I was completely <laughs> uninterested. I was focused on, you know, becoming a pastor and becoming a, a missionary. I, I don't know why I thought that was incompatible with marriage. And so I remember when I first met Christina, I didn't even look at her. I just sort of gave her my hand and said, hi. <laughs> and then for her part, she thought, what a jerk. Now, what if that meeting was my only chance and I ruined it, I screwed it up? It's not possible because God was orchestrating all things. And if I had messed up the second meeting, because it took a second meeting, I don't know. There might have been a third meeting. <laughs> now, some of you are saying, well, how do you know that it was God's will for you and Christina to get married? And here's the answer, because Christina and I are married. That's how I know it was God's will. And I want you to know something. Being married to Christina is the greatest gift in my life. I want you to know that you cannot mess up your life. There are so many examples that we can look at from the Bible. Think about the life of David, Moses, Jacob. If you look at the first part of their life, they're just stumbling around, making a muck of things, but God blesses them anyway. And so what's the lesson? You think you're in control. You think you're the one calling the shots. But in the end, God is in control. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God is the author of our lives. He is the one writing our stories. And therefore, be at peace. Make the best decision that you can. Ask wise people for counsel. Pray like mad. But through it all, trust God. Third point, be transformed. I want you to know that ultimately, guidance is about transformation. Because when God guides you, He's going to change you. He's going to change what you want. He's going to change you. Look at verse 4. It says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Notice that it is your path, not my own path. It's God's path. So what is David asking for? He's not saying, God, help me to get what I want. He's saying, God, help me to want what you want. Do you see the difference? I want you to know that it is possible to spend your whole life on the wrong path. It is possible to spend your whole life on the wrong path, and all along that path, you're asking for this, you're asking for that, but you're asking for the wrong thing. And so how do you get on the right path? Verse 5, 
He says, lead me in your truth and teach me. And when David says your truth, I want you to know he's talking about the word of God. He's saying you need to read the Bible. Now, I know that for many of you, this is a deeply disappointing answer because you're facing some kind of difficult decision. You're saying this sermon is very appropriate for what I'm facing. How am I going to make this decision? And you're telling me I need to read the Bible. How is that going to help me? But don't you see you need the Bible? Because so often your desires and your goals are shaped not by God, but by the world. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, the, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and true. I want you to know it is so easy to be conformed by the patterns of this world. It is so easy to be seduced by the American dream of prosperity and comfort. And it's so easy when you're facing any decision to be shaped by those assumptions and framework. One of the most challenging sermons I've ever heard is by John Piper. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. I heard it a couple years after college. And uh, in this sermon, he's talking about how so many people live their whole life for retirement. They're just, that, that's the goal of their life is to retire. And what a waste that is. And I want to read you this quote, and I'm really doing this quote in justice. If you've ever heard John Piper preach, very passionate and earnest. And so try to hear the quote with his voice. This is what he says. So I ask all of you tonight, are you going to throw your life away? Are you going to buy into the American dream, minimize suffering, maximize comforts and ease, build bigger barns, lay up treasures on earth, covet the praise of man, and be happy for 80 years and perish? Is that the way you're going to waste your life? Or are you going to see Christ crucified and risen and reigning and bearing your sins as the infinite treasure in your life? And then make life choices that display to the world his value. So what the Bible is, uh, what John Piper is saying and what the Bible is also saying is that our natural inclinations lead us to a decadent and self-serving life, a small life of small pleasures, a safe life where you don't need courage or the grace of God. But the Bible is calling you to a big life, a life full of adventure and risk, a life of passion and obedience to the cause of Christ in this dying world Will you heed that call? Will you submit your life to him? Look at verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Fear God above all else, and then you will become a person guided by God. 
Last point, accept the friendship of God. Look at verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. So the imagery here of friendship is of two people walking side by side, deep in conversation, sharing and pouring out their hearts and thoughts with each other. Why does David talk about friendship with God? What does friendship have to do with guidance? And the answer is that what we ultimately need is not guidance, but a guide. What you ultimately need is not step-by-step instructions. Suppose God were to come to you one night and say, tomorrow, go to this particular coffee house at this exact hour. Don't be late. There's a guy sitting on your left. He'll be in a blue shirt. I want you to sit next to him and start a conversation. He's your future husband. Some of you are saying, yes, I would love those kind of guidance. (laughs) No, you don't. No, you don't. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine that um, you're the parent of a teenager who is about to start high school. You know that in high school, he is going to be faced with all kinds of of decisions and and choices. Some of them will be life-shaping decisions. So what are you going to do? You can try, you can try to spell out every scenario, every possibility, every conversation and script out his entire day. You can try. But the better way, the only way, is if you can implant into your child's heart your own heart and values. And then no matter what scenario, what situation he faces, you will know that he will make the right decision. That is the guidance that God offers you. He says, accept my friendship because I want you to know my heart and my my mind. I'm not going to give you step-by-step instructions, but I want to walk with you. I want a relationship with you. Some of you are saying, well, how do we get the friendship of the Lord? Jesus says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The friendship of Christ is ultimately his sacrificial death for you. It's him dying for you. It's him saving you on the cross. And when you receive that, when you believe in that, when you meditate on that, that will transform you. I want to close with this final thought. Um, People will often ask, how much can I trust my inclinations and my feelings? And I want to read to you what uh, Jesus says in John 15, 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I want you to know that to the degree that you abide in Christ, where your thoughts and desires are shaped by him, to that degree, okay, to that degree, you can begin to trust your intuitions, and your instincts because they will be of the Lord. 
Because the guidance of God is ultimately not about doing, it's about being. It's about being a Christ-soaked person who knows the friendship of the Lord. I started the the sermon with the uh, Sylvia Platt quote on the fig tree, which I think really captures the anxiety and the uncertainty of our day. I want to close with a quote by Kevin DeYoung from his book, Just Do Something, which I thought was really helpful. Listen to this quote. The will of God isn't a special direction here or a bit of secret knowledge there. God doesn't put us in a maze, turn out the lights and tell us, get out and good luck. In one sense, we trust in the will of God as his sovereign plan for our future. In another sense, we obey the will of God as his good word for our lives. But in no sense should we be scrambling around trying to turn to the right page in our personal choose-your-own-adventure novel. So the end of the matter is this. Live for God. Obey the scriptures. Think of others before yourself. Be holy. Love Jesus. And as you do these things, do whatever else you like, with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you will be walking in the will of God. I think those are wise words. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, we boldly ask for your guidance. We ask with a humble heart. We ask full of faith. We ask trusting in your goodness and your love for us in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.